Welcome into Sportsnet today. I am Josh Elliott. We'll be here with you for the next couple hours here on Sportsnet 650. And I'm coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. You can text in 650 650, the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center, or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. I'm raring to go today. No more calf cramp. I'm back off the IR. Got another softball game tonight, though, so probably going to pull my crap or my calf again. I'm sure it'll be fine. So did the uh, listeners help you out yesterday? They did. I they, they did. I tried some of the uh, tried had a banana when I got home. Did some stretches as well. Um, I probably should stretch before running. It's probably a good idea. But now now I'm good. Thanks to the uh, the loyal listeners and the 650, 650 text line for helping me out because I needed it. I was I was in a rough spot. Also, I was thinking about so yesterday we were talking about the the best athletes in sports, right? And I have made a decision. The best athletes in any sport are water polo players. I don't understand how they do it for as long as they do it for. Yeah, it is crazy. I, I'm impressed by water polo for sure. It's unreal. Doesn't get enough attention. I, I wish there was like a huge water polo league. I'm waiting for the Shohei Otani of water polo. Yeah, yeah I, need a, big. I need a guy that can, I don't, I don't even know what it, it would be. Goalie and forward, that's a lot of swimming, though. Speaking of cramps, that's how you cramp. That much swimming. Uh, keep your texts coming in, 650-650, Dunbar Lumber text line. Wanted to start the show a little bit differently today. Uh, we're going to get into it. It's called the five W's. Let's go. Let's get it started. All right. Little music bed, too. Lots of fun. So five W's, how this is going to work is there's going to be five questions. We're going to kind of go around the world of sports and the W stand for who, what, when, where, why. That's it. There's no how because that's an H. Though I know in school there generally would be a how. Uh, we will start with this one because we got to fit some Canucks talk in. Who are you most worried will push the Canucks out of a playoff spot? So my answer, first things first, I'm going to work under the assumption that the Canucks will be around a playoff spot. Maybe not comfortably in it. I don't think they'll be comfortably near the bottom of the standings either, though. So I'm going to say they're in and around a playoff spot for the sake of this, this question. Let's start with the teams that I think we can all agree are definitely going to make the playoffs. Vegas, Edmonton, and I would probably put LA in there too in the Pacific. I, I know there's questions around their goaltending. I completely understand that. But I just think that there's too much overall talent on that team for them to miss the playoffs. In the Central, I would say Colorado and Dallas are locks. But there are question marks around the rest of the teams in those in that division. So that leaves three spots open in the Western Conference, both wild card slots available. If we're working under the assumption that in the Canucks division, the Pacific, that Edmonton, Vegas, and LA are going to make it. 
And even if LA, if you, if you want to make the argument that LA isn't going to make it for sure, I think they would comfortably be in a wild card spot if they're not in that third spot in the Pacific. So the teams in contention for those two wild card spots would be Seattle, Calgary, Winnipeg, Minnesota, and you can maybe, maybe if you really want to stretch it, throw Nashville in there too. I probably wouldn't, but they made some addi- like they're a weird team. I have no idea what they're doing this offseason. But they made some additions. Maybe they try to push for a playoff spot. And they also have UC Soros. So who knows what they can do. But I'd say one of the Jets or Wild is gonna take that final central spot. So you'll only only really have to worry about one of them one of them. So there's really three or four teams competing with the Canucks for those two wildcard spots. I would say it's the Flames, the Kraken, and one of the Jets or Wild. So off the bat, I'd say the Kraken, based on last year, are a team that I would put probably in the first wildcard spot. And I, and I know there's an element, like for me, I look at their season last season, I think they overperformed a little bit, but they've just got so much depth that I would still put them in the wildcard spot. My question and my, my worry is the goaltending still pretty questionable and I think they're still missing a couple pieces that could vault them into legitimate contender category and maybe that's Maddie Beneers taking another step maybe it's Shane Wright eventually graduating to the NHL permanently and and making his mark on that team I'm not completely sold on them but I'm going to put them in a wildcard spot I don't think the Canucks are going to be worried about them as much as they might be worried about other teams uh the jets are interesting because if their roster stays where it's at right now i would probably put them in the playoffs but realistically i think they're probably going to see some sort of change between now and when the season starts and if that major change is connor hellebuck getting traded i'm gonna have a lot of questions about how far that team can actually go plus the vibes in winnipeg they're just weird. It feels like nobody really gets along in the locker room. You don't know what's going on. Kevin Dayoff has been there forever. Blake Wheeler's out. Maybe that maybe that helps some of the locker room issues, but that that's also losing a pretty decent player that was in your top six. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do this year. I would say if they do make a trade, I don't think they're a playoff team. If they don't make a trade, I think they're comfortably taking that third spot in the central, so they're probably going to be not even relevant to what the Canucks are doing in the wild card. The other central team that I threw in there, the Minnesota Wild, they're weird because I just I don't think they should be good with how much dead money they have on the books, yet they continue to find a way, like most Minnesota teams do, this is a very Minnesota team thing to do, to find a way to just be average. Maybe slightly above average in a good year. They're never horrible, but they're never amazing. And I don't think you can count out the wild because... I don't think you can... I don't know what happened there. I don't think you can count them out because... They have guys like Kirill Kaprizov, Matt Boldy. Plus, I think they have decent forward depth outside of the center position. The, the, their centers are a little weak. I'm not... I'm not not going to lie about that. But their defense, that's pretty questionable, especially after the loss of Matt Dumba. Their goaltending, though, however, 
Marc-Andre Fleury, still decent. Philip Gustafson had a good year, and they probably have the best goaltending prospect in the league, Jesper Wallstead, waiting in the wings. So maybe their goaltending helps them out, but I put them in the conversation with the Canucks, but I would probably give the Canucks the edge over the wild if it came down to securing a wild card spot. So that brings me to my pick for the team that the Canucks need to be most worried about pushing them out of a playoff spot. Because right now I'm working under, under the assumption that the Winnipeg Jets take that third spot in the central. And I'm saying that the Seattle Kraken are probably going to take one of those wildcard spots. So the team I'm most worried about is the Calgary Flames. And I know there are a lot of issues surrounding them. Every player wants to leave. There's a lot of drama. I also worry that if the roster stays... I, like, my worry is that if the roster stays intact, that they're going to rally around all these issues they've had, and they're going to figure it out. Like, there's too much talent on that team for them not to at least be competing for a wild card spot. And I think Huberto... I know he had his issues last year. I, th I still think he's one of the worst contracts in the NHL. But I think without Daryl Sutter at the helm, he's going to have a better year. He didn't just fall off this dramatically. But that's the team I am I am very worried about. Especially when you look at their defense. And I know they might trade Noah Hannafin. Maybe that changes it up a bit. But they still have Mackenzie Weaker. They still have Rasmus Anderson. They still have Chris Tanev. Like, we know what these guys can do. And uh, also, Dustin Wolf should be playing for them this season. Another highly touted goalie prospect. That's a team I'm most worried about the Canucks, or pushing the Canucks out of a playoff spot. Did you have a pick for that, Elon? I think you said it pretty well. A couple of the teams I, I just can't wait to watch, like Winnipeg and Calgary, like you said, because there's going to be a surprise team, right? If the standings aren't going to stay the same as last year. Are the Canucks going to be that surprise team that, that comes back in? And I do agree with you. I do think Minnesota, with their young talent, I do think they're making the wild card as well. Mm -hmm. All right. So there it is. That's the first W. Second one. Here we go. What is going on with Alec Manoa? Dude was a mess again last night. Pitching against the Padres. He went just three innings. Gave up three hits. Not that bad. Walked five. That's bad. Gave up four earned runs and didn't strike out anyone that is also bad I was a little encouraged after a start against the Tigers I thought maybe the extra time off through the all-star break maybe that's going to help him but it just doesn't seem like he has it anymore and I, I don't even I don't know how to fix it because I, I don't know what needs to be done they called him up this should be it all of it should have been figured out by now or at least to a passable level I'm not saying he's going to be the Manoa of last year, but if you called him up, you should be confident that he is ready to be, at the very least, a pitcher that's going to get you five or six innings. Might not be amazing, but he's at least going to pass it off to the bullpen with a chance. Last night, it was the same issues he's had all year. His pitch count's way too high. His location is bad. He doesn't have put-away stuff. And it was frustrating. And I think if you're the Blue Jays, you look at that, so you, you end up losing 9-1 last night. And luckily, if you're the Jays right now, you have enough starters to kind of pick up the slack. You're expecting Hunjin Ryu to, to come back, though you kind of question at what level he's going to be playing at as well. But I think if the Blue Jays expect to go far in the playoffs, 
they either have to add another quality starter before the deadline. Hey, I've been I've been on the Marcus Stroman train just because I think the vibes would be fun. And I think it would be really interesting to see him back with the team. Just because he's such a fiery guy, and I think that's something they maybe need right now. Or Manoa has to figure this out real quick. Because the playoffs started right now. I would be so scared about him starting a playoff game. Because I just assume that you're going to the bullpen early. It's going to go bad. He's going to have a short leash. And that's not something you can really have in the playoffs. Especially in a wildcard series. Last year he was talking about all the pressure in his tire. How there's no pressure. All the pressure is in tires. The pressure's on him now. And speaking of the team they played in the wildcard last year. The Mariners. They're playing them this weekend. Don't know if Manoa's going to get a start. Things are kind of weird with Kevin Gosman missing a start as well. In the... He missed his last spot in the rotation. So who knows if Alec will pitch against the Mariners in Seattle. That series also kind of snuck up on me, by the way. I'm usually pretty in tune with when the when the Jays are going to be in Seattle. I had no idea it was this weekend. Yeah, I'm going to be there for the series. I'm are pumped. you? Yep. The whole, all three? Uh, two. Two. You going to sneak in a Taylor Swift concert as well? I wish. That would be fun. That, by the way, the border wait times this weekend are going to be Ridiculous. Seattle's going to be nuts this yeah. weekend. You better better get out early if you're going to a Jays game or if you're going to the Taylor Swift concert. I hope you have fun. Um, I looked at tickets for that, by the way, because my, my fiance is into Taylor Swift, and obviously there's there's a whole controversy. She's not coming to Canada yet. It's a whole thing. Those tickets are expensive, man. So Outrageous. I, I did not purchase them. But anyway, next question. What team are you picking to surprise everybody in the NFL this season. Elon, did you want to start? Do you have a pick? I do, and this is honestly surprising to myself because I'm not a fan of this team whatsoever. I think last year they started off very poorly and kind of made a comeback and and set up some promising stuff for this season, and that team is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Ooh. I think that Kenny Pickett building what off of he did building off of what he did at the end of last season and you know they got some good young receivers George Pickens they're building their offense and their defense out as well I think that they will surprise some people this season and maybe sneak into a wild card in a loaded AFC it's yeah the thing the thing about the AFC is it's so because it, you can almost pencil in the seven teams right but it's just so that's why this is a bold pick Josh. it's a bold pick hey you got Mike Tomlin too Hasn't had a record under 500 in 10 years, I believe. Maybe more. So, I, I like the pick. My pick might be even a little bit more bold. But I'm going with the Denver Broncos. And I know we all clowned on them last year. It was fun. I was I clowned on them too. Russell Wilson is an easy guy to make fun of. And it was a lot of fun. But I just think they're going to come in with a chip on their shoulder, they're going to be like, hey, they all doubt us. They don't think we can do anything. Look at our division. Kansas City Chiefs, Los Angeles Chargers. Nobody's beating those guys. I think they're going to come in and they're going to surprise teams. Sean Payton, a way better coach than what they had before. And also, what are the expectations for the Broncos this year? Minimal 
I disagree. Best. I think the expectations are really high for the Broncos, right? You bring in Sean Payton on that contract. You have Russ going into his second year after that horrendous first year. I just think even if they hit 500, I think people would be impressed based on what they did last year, personally. But I, 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 I get what you're saying. You bring in Sean Payton, it's like, hey, now now there's no excuses. you got to figure this out. Um, The other thing, though, is their schedule, like you come last in the division, it shouldn't be incredibly difficult. And I, I believe they play uh, all the NFC North teams as well, who, look, I the, the Lions should be good this year. The Bears, there's some question marks around them. Dominic Schermatti, I know he's not here, but he thinks they're going to be a top three team in the NFC, which is a crazy prediction, by the way. Definitely not going to happen. But if it did, hey, they're they're a tough team to beat. Got to play the Jets. But I just – I could see them challenging for a wild card spot this year. I don't see them winning the division. That's, that's the Chiefs running away with it. But I could definitely see them – in that wild card conversation. So that's my pick. I also thought about the Detroit Lions, but I think that's just kind of the sexy pick right now. And at this point, like, would it really be a surprise if the Lions won the division? I think they're they're going to stay on that theme of they're good, but they lose games. Oh, yeah? That's what I think they're going to be like. They're going to be in all the games, but they'll lose enough to not make the playoffs. The heartbreaking losses? I hope so. But... I don't know. It, it's hard because if you're a fan like me of another NFC North team, you're like, well, I, I don't really want the Lions to do well. But if any other team in the division did well, I do kind of want it to be Detroit. So I don't want the Packers or Bears to have any success. Next question. When will the Seattle Seahawks adopt the throwbacks they released today as their full-time jerseys? I don't know if you saw them. It's a... Th- I, Brought it up yesterday, actually. It's a throwback to their 80s and 90s jerseys with the royal blue, the nice crisp green. They're bringing them back. I think it's only for one game in week eight. But, man, they look good. Brought back the silver helmets as well. Those are so clean. Probably the best A lot better than that neon green electric uniforms they had years back with TJ Hushmanzada. You remember those? Yeah, yeah. Those were any any bright green jersey, any neon green jersey in sports is bad. I've never seen it executed well. I don't know if I've ever seen a worse jersey than that. That one was bad. For me, like when I think of neon green as well, at least recently, I think of the uh, the Dallas Stars jersey with the black and the green. Not a fan of that. I think that's a horrible jersey, too. Way too... The, the green is too bright. But regardless, these throwback jerseys are wonderful. And they should immediately replace their regular jerseys. I think we're going to watch when the Seahawks are playing and they're playing in their normal, like, navy blue ones. They're going to seem so dull. And then when they come out with the royal blue ones, man, they're going to pop. I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, if, it, if it gets enough traction... If they do end up bringing it back. And the Seahawk on the shoulder too. What happened to teams having like their logo on the shoulder? The patches. Yeah, that was sick. Let's bring that back too. Vikings used to do it as well. A lot of teams used to do it. Those are awesome. And the old Seahawks logo. Ah, I love it. I love it. Uh, We'll end with this one. Where will Blue Jays fans be able to buy Jays Jays gear in Seattle this weekend? 
Did you see this? So Yeah, of course. They can buy it at, <laughs> at, well, at the home of the Seattle Mariners. Not anymore. Oh, they earlier, took it away. Yeah, earlier this week, uh, Mariners fan account put out, hey, there's this one, like, it, it's essentially a closet size of section in the Mariners team store that was selling Blue Jays gear. It was like, it was Jays jerseys. They had the shirts, Bo Bichette shirts, Vladdy shirts, a couple hats. Like, it wasn't much. And then... I believe it was uh, a couple of their players posted on Twitter, like, this is dumb, essentially. Like, what are we doing here? And uh, Mariners caved to their players, which is probably fine. Uh, and they took the Jays gear out of the Mariners team store. Is that, like, I feel like teams should do that, regardless of if it's the Blue Jays. Like, if the San Diego Padres are going to Seattle... I feel like having a little section of Padres gear in the store isn't that bad of a thing. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, if the players are getting so upset about it, take it away. I think the I, I get it's a little different for players when Toronto comes to town because these are these series in Seattle are always electric. And they're and your your stadium is just getting taken over, right? Somebody should set up a little uh cart outside the stadium just selling jay's gear because <laughs> yeah. i guarantee you they would sell out yeah and as as someone that's like gone to these series before regardless like stores around seattle are always selling a bunch of blue jay stuff as well like they know how to capitalize on it my thing is hey if you're if you're the mariners team store and you're going to be selling this capitalize on all these jays fans going down and charge extra for that more money for shohei exactly Put that money away, put it in the Shohei fund, lock it away in the piggy bank, and that's uh, that's just how you make money, man. It's a, It would be a smart business move. I get why they're not doing it, especially when players are vocal about it, and you kind of have a rivalry with this team. You played them in the playoffs last year. But also, like, get over it. There's gonna be there's gonna be a lot of Jays stuff in the stands anyway. There's gonna be a lot of Jays fans. Yeah, and, and I will say in recent years it's shifted more towards 50-50, whereas before it was probably like 75-25 Blue Jays versus Mariners. Seattle's good now, the, and the the atmosphere in these crowds is a is a little more combative than it was before in a friendly way. Not in a, don't get in, in any fights this weekend, please. Uh, we got some texts on this 650, 650 just before we hit the break. Um, there are five stores within a block of the stadium. Yeah. If you're walking around, you're just, you're going to see Blue Jays gear and it's going to be available. Um, some, uh, some texts about the earlier questions as well. Mainly the, uh, who are you most worried will push the Canucks out of a playoff spot? Um, this one, 100% agree. Flames lost 31 goal games last year. That's ridiculous. That's from Lee. Those kind of things balance out from season to season, right? You expect it usually within a season to balance out. It didn't for them last year. That's another reason. I, I just look at the Flames, and again, unless they do end up making a bunch of changes before the season starts, I just can't see them being out of the playoffs or at least out of contention unless things go horribly wrong Huberto has actually fallen off a cliff uh I I just don't see it and this one for Marcus and Gibson's 
Don't sleep on the LA Kings' lack of goaltending depth. A few injuries there, and I can easily see them missing even the wild card spot. My thing is, like, they haven't had the depth in the past years, in the past couple of years, and they've still made the playoffs. So maybe uh, this year it catches up to them, but it just hasn't so far, and I, I don't see a reason why it would change this year, especially after, after adding Dubois. And a couple of their prospects are going to graduate into the NHL. Guys like Quinton Byfield are going to get better. I just feel like it, it's really hard to picture the LA Kings missing the playoffs unless they have a bunch of key injuries to multiple positions on the team. Uh, it is Sportsnet today. I'm Josh Elliott Wolf along with producer Elon Chark. We'll be back on the other side. Keep your texts coming in 650 650 Dunbar Lumber text line. It is Sportsnet today with Josh Elliott Wolf on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Sportsnet 650. It is Sportsnet today with Josh Elliott Wolf, Elon Chark, along with me as we uh, take you to the People Show at one o'clock uh, later today as well. In about half an hour, we're going to be joined by Scott Wheeler of the Athletic. Talks about prospects, writes about prospects national reporter for the athletic he recently put out a uh, top 50 drafted prospects list and i don't know if canucks fans are going to be super pumped about reading it especially after hey you just took a guy at 11th overall tom Melander. you'd assume he's in there right think again we'll talk to him about that same with uh jonathan lekaramaki and atu ratu neither of them made the list as well so we'll get into that with him, and we'll talk about some of the prospects who did make the list because a uh, guy we've talked a lot about since the draft, Zach Benson, found himself pretty high on his rankings. Uh, 650-650, Dunbar Lumber text line. Keep those texts coming in. By the way, uh, help support Challenger Baseball BC by participating in the Jays Care Celebrity Golf Classic. This year's tournament is eight days away, July 27th at Tawasson Springs. Limited foursomes are still available. Visit jayscaregolf.ca for more details and to check out the silent auction, which is live now. Uh, into the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line. This one, who will knock the Canucks out of playoff contention this year? Themselves. That's a text. The, the greatest enemy of the Canucks lately has in fact been the Vancouver Canucks. So that's a fair text. I just, uh, we, it's, it's, I don't know if this is going to be the year where they completely fall over themselves because can you really do it for that many years in a row? Like eventually you got to figure it out, right? That's where I'm at with that. Uh, this one, the Kings had the worst goaltending tandem in the league last year. How could it get worse? Derek in the Ridge. That's the thing as well. If they have the worst goaltending, and they're still making the playoffs. That's why I just I don't I don't really worry about who's in net for them. I do when you get to the playoffs. Like if if they don't address their goaltending in LA, I don't think they're getting very far once they get to the postseason. But I think they will make it, and we've seen a lot of teams make it where you have enough talent up front and on defense that you can get to the postseason. And it, but once you get there, you have your issues. And I don't think the Kings this year are going to be any different. Uh, another text as well. Keep the water guy. 
Byfield or Pod Colson, who will start to make an impact sooner, which has been more disappointing to this point. Uh, without looking into it too much, I would say Byfield, in my opinion. And, and look, I, I'm pretty high on Quinton Byfield just as a whole. Um, I think this is the year he kind of has a breakout. And I think he's going to be a consistent NHLer in LA this season. He had 22 points in 53 games for the Kings last year, uh, whereas Vasily Podkolzin, I believe he had yeah, seven points in 39 games for the Vancouver Canucks. Podkolzin has played more NHL games, but Byfield, like the, their production has been pretty similar. Byfield just has more upside. So I, w- I would say just because their production has been pretty similar to this point, if I had to choose which one has been more disappointing between the two, probably Byfield, but I still have more faith in Byfield that he's going to figure it out or at least hit a hit a higher upside than Pod Colson has or has had or has at least shown to this point in his Canucks tenure. Uh, before the break, we were talking about we got into a, a little bit in the five W's. What team are you picking to surprise everyone in the NFL this season? So I took the Denver Broncos. Uh, Elon, you took the the Pittsburgh Steelers. So let's go ahead and say those are our AFC picks, right? That's I, my big dark dark horse pick is the Steelers, right? The Steelers? I'm not expecting them to do much, but based on their current roster and their young guys, they still got Najee Harris. We saw him explode, right? Mm-hmm. George Pickens, Deontay Johnson. They got a couple studs on defense. Can't forget about Minka Fitzpatrick. They drafted Joey Porter Jr., I like this team, Josh. And they were just they they were tied for the seventh best right. Like if they didn't lose the tiebreak against the Dolphins, they would have been in the playoffs this year. And we remember how bad they started off, right? Mitch Trubisky was their starting quarterback. What a time. That's that's rough. Um so if you had to pick a team that the Steelers were going to knock out of the playoffs then, because I if you look at it, so last year Chiefs, Bills, Bengals, Jaguars won their division. I don't know if I see any of those teams losing their division this year, personally. So that leaves the Chargers, Ravens, and Dolphins who were in the wildcard spot. If you had to pick one team to get out of the wildcard spot to get the Steelers into the playoffs, what team are you picking? Oh, we know how tough this is, right? AFC's loaded. It's so hard. It's so difficult. I feel like one of those four teams that you mentioned, one of them's not going to have as good of a season as, as people think they will, right? Okay. I'm going to I'm going to say the Ravens. Of the Ravens. Okay. Yeah. It, it Lamar is the huge question mark, right? Cuz I think this year personally, like he's had a few rough years. Injury troubles, obviously we know all about the contract. Personally, I'm high on the Ravens this year. I think Lamar's going to get back to a form that we saw early in his career. He's going to prove the doubters wrong. But at the same time, I know he's a very boomer bust guy. And I just I, I wouldn't be completely surprised if they are the team. If I had to pick a team, I'm probably going to say, you know what? I'm going to say the Chargers. And I'm just saying that because things have been kind of tenuous there. I don't really know about their coaching situation. I, I have question marks about that. We saw what happened in the playoffs last season to them. It was it was horrible. They they completely choked. I wonder if there's a there's a carryover effect to that. 
and uh, Justin Herbert. I, I'm very high on him, but is is he enough to completely push them into a playoff spot? See, Josh, I think this is the year that Herbert takes that leap, yeah. and the Chargers are actually a good team. Hmm. Do you think they could compete for the division then, or like just comfortably a wild card? No, team? comfortably wild card. Okay. No one's touching the division. We all know that. And then the Dolphins, that one, it, it's – I feel like the overall talent on the team is good enough just to get them to the playoffs. But then, too, I have the question marks about him and if if he's enough and if he's healthy at all uh, just to get them deep into the playoffs if they do make it. Uh, so let's look at the NFC. Yesterday, by the way, we had Emery Hunt, uh, owner of Football Game Plan, on. And we talked to him about this very topic. We talked to him about what teams he think he thinks could surprise this year and what teams he thinks – could maybe take a step back so in the nfc one team he mentioned was the washington commanders making a making a bit of a step forward so last year they were as 500 as you can get in current nfl eight eight and one um missed out on the playoffs just by a little bit the seahawks we know made it they were nine and eight he picked them i don't know if i'm if i'm completely sold on them though their defense is really really good I just I have a lot of questions about the quarterback. So just looking at their roster, they have a very talented roster. It might surprise you, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, the commanders, what? But it is the quarterback situation. They have Sam Howell, which a lot of people probably haven't heard of, but everyone's saying, oh, he looks great in, in the beginning of camp. And then, of course, they have the, the stopgap that everyone loves in the NFL, Jacoby Brissett, yeah. which in my opinion, he's he's not getting you, you know, maybe he can get you to the wild card, but it's that's it. Yeah, and even that, I'd like it. Would, I would not be confident if you had to if you had to start him. Uh, but that being said, I really love their receiver core: McLaurin, Dotson, Curtis Samuel. I like those three guys. Um, I want McLaurin, and we talked about it on the show before. I want McLaurin to have a breakout year, or like he's he's been really good. He was. A, Voted on as a as a top ten receiver by execs, coaches, and scouts uh, in the NFL, so people are very aware of his talent. I just want to see the numbers back it up this year, and it's going to be really hard. With well, he has amazing numbers every year, but it's he's not going to get better numbers with Jacoby Brissett as his quarterback, right? I mean, at a certain point, it's like I think they just got to start feeding him even more. Like, let your guy make plays. And I know I just talked about how I like Dotson and Curtis Samuel as well. I just uh, I would like to see a little bit more in terms of results, and it's not even on him, and I I, I doubt it's going to happen, but that would just be something I I would welcome for sure. Um, so for that reason, I don't know if I would put the Commanders as the team in the NFC that's going to jump up into a wild card spot. I might say, and maybe this probably isn't a hot take. But I was going to say the Detroit Lions or the Carolina Panthers. Just because I, for to start with the Lions, we all know why they're going to get there. Is just because, like, if you look at the NFC North, they have a route to winning the division. And it wouldn't be surprising at all. Plus, we, we've seen that they've been threatening all year. But you mentioned, hey, maybe it's a, another year where you lose a bunch of one-score games, and it just doesn't work out for you. Well, I, I still – you know I'm a big fan of Jared Goff. Yeah. Uh, I, I saw a stat the other day. 
last nine games, he threw zero interceptions, Josh. Really? That's unheard nine of. Games? He was he's on a tear, yeah. Jared Goff. That was pretty he was really I they, think he's the very whole, undervalued. The team as a whole was really good to end the year. I I just wish they had Jamison Williams to start the season. But I'm just also really high on Jamison Williams. I just want to see him play. Josh, I have a big question for you. You mentioned Carolina there, but NFC South, what is going on in that division? And who can we expect to win that division and take a leap? Well, so that's why I'm almost saying the Panthers are going to be a surprise. It's because I'm not sold on the Bucks. You got Baker Mayfield at quarterback. The Saints, I am not sold on either. The Falcons, like they it just feels like it's going to be similar to last year where it's a bunch of teams around five hundred. I don't think you'll have all four under five hundred again this season, but you're gonna have all of them circling around nine and eight, eight and nine. Maybe a team goes for ten and seven. I just think the Panthers look at the division. They have Bryce Young at quarterback, Andy Dalton, who's not amazing, but I think he can teach Young the ways of quarterbacking. Like, he's a good guy to have as a backup. Plus, you got Miles Sanders at running back. You brought in Adam Thielen. You have your guy, DJ Chark, and uh, Hayden Hurst at tight end. Like, I just think they're, they're primed to take a step, but it really relies on Bryce Young making an immediate impact. And that's a, that's always a worry with a rookie quarterback. See, all these teams in the NFC South, if you go down their rosters, they're all very talented, right? Even Atlanta, mm-hmm. Drake, London. We're yet to see Kyle Pitts yeah. do anything, you know, at least in a fantasy aspect. He's been so disappointing in fantasy. But, yeah. And then, you, as you said, Carolina. And they have a great defense as well. A lot of young guys and Derek Brown. But I don't know if Bryce Young in his first season, you know, can he be like Cam Newton where he leads the team that early? I'm for me. I'm still looking at the New Orleans Saints. Maybe I'm a little biased. I've always loved Kamara, Michael Thomas. They got Olave. Mm-hmm. I think if Derek Carr can put it together and be decent this season, I think they have a chance to win this division. I could see that for sure. The honestly, the one team I can't see winning this year is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And maybe I'm just way too low on Baker Mayfield. Baker wasn't bad towards the end of the season with the Rams. You remember that? I mean, he had one good one good game, right. one good play, really. Well, he was there for like a day, and they put him in the game, and everyone was going nuts. Look, all you have to do is just bring Baker Mayfield in the day before a game, and he'll clutch up. But if he has time to prepare, it's not going to work out. Um, yeah, I, I'm just not sold on them. Uh, we get a text, 650-650, talking about the AFC side, James and Burnaby. All of you are sleeping on the Patriots because of the Judge Patricia debacle. Mac Jones and the Pats will be back in the playoffs this year. Are you sold on the on the Patriots? Like, they're just such an uninspiring team. James, I love your enthusiasm for your team. Yeah. But that's such a tough division. Where, Like, where are you getting those wins, right? You're not going to beat the Bills. Well, or, like, maybe you, maybe go one you and can one. sneak out a, one, uh, yeah. a game against the Bills, a game against the Dolphins. It's just such a tough division that if you think that they're going to make the playoffs. Yeah, cause, and especially because not only are you dealing with a very difficult division, you're then dealing with, Hey, if, like you're probably not going to win the division, so you got to try to get into the wild card. And are they better than the Chargers? I don't think so. Are they better than the Dolphins? I wouldn't say so. And then you got to worry about are they better than the Steelers? Are they better than the Browns? Ravens? Like I, I just don't think they're better than those teams. But voice crack there, that was fun. But you also can't count out Bill Belichick, and like he's just gonna he's gonna find wins, and I get that. 
but I just I can't see them making the playoffs. I think you can't count out Belichick, but you can count out Mac Jones. <laughs> That's fair. You can count out Mac Jones. He is not are you uh he's not that guy for you? No, I'm not sold on Mac Jones, not at all. I think they're gonna run with him for a couple years. I don't think he's gonna develop into anything crazy. He's a he's a he's a nice quarterback. Yeah, he's fine. He's fine. He's like a he's like a worse Kirk Cousins or Derek Carr. I also am really not a fan of their receivers. Yeah, they got Juju. Yeah, but, but is Juju really still that good, right? He was on the even, Chiefs. Even then, with the Chiefs, like if he was that good, he would have done better with the Chiefs. Like, yeah, Patrick Mahomes is your quarterback. They got Devontae Parker and then, you know, takes a big slide downhill after that. And I'm just not a fan of the receivers. I, I do like Stevenson a lot, but with Mac Jones leading the helm, I just don't see them being a playoff team this year, Josh. Me neither. One one team I will say we didn't mention that's getting a lot of hype. Dom would probably be getting mad at us right now. The New York Jets. I personally, like, again, we we talk about all these teams that are going to be vying for spots in the AFC and, and how difficult it's going to be. I just look at this conference and I don't see how even with the addition of Aaron Rodgers, I don't see how they're going to be a playoff team. And, and again, we talked about it earlier in the week. I'm just not an Aaron Rodgers guy. I think he's kind of over the hill to an extent. I'm sure he'll try to prove me wrong and all the doubters wrong, but I don't see the Jets making the playoffs this year. Well, the Jets are one of the biggest question marks coming into the year, right? That's why they're on hard knocks. Everybody wants to see what's going to happen with them. Mm -hmm. They have so much young talent. Their defense is fantastic. They reshaped their O-line over the past couple drafts. And then they get a two-time MVP Aaron Rodgers, right? Yeah, and their defense is really good. So it's uh, I don't I don't know. Like if things go right for them, I'll probably be eating my words. Though they might be a really really good team, but right now as it stands, I'm still picking a few other teams before them to make the wild card, and I'm probably picking a few teams that I still expect to miss the playoffs ahead of them. Uh, in the NFC. So again, we were talking to Emery Hunt yesterday, kind of about what teams might make a jump or fall out of the playoffs in the NFL this season. One team he mentioned that might take a step back was the Minnesota Vikings. My Minnesota Vikings made me very sad. I got over it, though, because I kind of feel the same. When you look at their point differential, we all know it was it was negative. And generally, you don't win 13 games with a, a negative point differential. The Vikings did it. It was great. If you watch the quarterback series on Netflix, there was a lot of TV, made-for-TV games, you know? Elon, I'm sure you remember the Bills game. Josh Allen fumbling on the goal line. That was wonderful. Yeah, the Vikings did have a lot of luck last season, I it will was, say. It was a very, very lucky season. Largest comeback in NFL history. You have to have some luck go your way uh, to get that done when they did it against the Colts. Plus, we're talking about the Detroit Lions it's so tough because I look at the Lions and I'm like, wow, look at this team. But also in, in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, they're still the Detroit Lions. Like something's going to go wrong for them. But if if I had to pick a team that was going to fall out of the playoff picture in the NFC, the Vikings are probably one of that. And, and as I mentioned, I think the Buccaneers are also going to be 
dropping out of the NFC playoffs this year, or at least definitely not winning the division in the NFC South. That would not be my pick. Um, is there a team that you look at in the NFC that made the playoffs last year that you don't think is going to go back this year? I've always been a little hesitant on the New York Giants, and I know that's that's a popular opinion. People don't think they're as good because, oh, Daniel Jones, sure, he was fine, but I do like Brian Dable a lot. He was a former OC for the Bills. Great football mind, and if you have him as your head coach, you always have a chance. And We'll see about Saquon, right? If Is he yeah. going to play? I think he, he'll end up playing for them under the franchise tag. Yeah. But if there was one team to fall out of the playoffs besides Tampa Bay and besides Minnesota, I would take the Giants. That was the other one I was going to mention too. The you're right about Dable. Like he just knew last year and we'll we'll see if it carries over cuz after a season a lot of things can change. But last year, he knew that he or sorry, he knew what strengths to play to for the New York Giants. He knew the run game was how they were going to win with Saquon. Daniel Jones had a really good year running the ball. So if they bring Saquon back, I think I still see them as a playoff team. But if they don't, or even if he misses a game or two, that's when I question things a lot. Because they're going to be right on the bubble. Well, it's really their defense is fantastic, right? Yes. So it's if their offense and Daniel Jones can keep them in those long, hard games that if maybe Saquon isn't, there to produce their whole offense because as Emery said yesterday Saquon was their whole offense he was he was he was unreal last year I uh, keep those texts coming in 650 650 if you want to weigh in on teams that you think in the NFL are going to take a step up this season maybe make the jump into a playoff spot or if you think maybe there's a wild card team that you look at as a team that could potentially win their division this year maybe it's the Chargers maybe it's the Ravens whatever you think uh, text that in 650-650 and vice versa if there's a team you see missing the playoffs in the NFL this year that made it last year or a team that you see that won the division last year that you don't think is going to be as good this year for me I'm probably picking the Vikings and the Bucks. another team I'll throw out there maybe just catering to the local crowd I wouldn't be surprised if the Seahawks pull off a bit of an upset and win the division over the Niners I do think the Niners are making the playoffs 100%. That's a crazy take. I know. Everyone's high on the Niners, but look like the quarterback situation. I know it worked for them last Their year. Their team is stacked, it's Josh. stacked. I know, but I think the Seahawks are nearly as good. They're great defensively, and I trust their quarterback more. I know it's crazy to say. I, I just trust Geno Smith way more than whether it's Trey Lance or Brock Purdy or whoever the Niners run out there. I would even say if Sam Darnold was the starting quarterback for the Niners, they still win that division. I don't think so. I, I have a lot of questions. And look, they've been able to work around it. They were 13-4 and four last year. I'm just saying, if, if there was a 6-0 and in the division? If there was a hot take? They're not losing there, that division. I, I say the Seahawks are going to win the division. I think they go 1-1 one and one against the Niners, and I think they figure things out along the rest of the schedule. That's my hot take for the year. Uh, it is Sportsnet today. I'm Josh Elliott Wolf, Elon Chark producing. Uh, on the other side, we're going to be joined by The Athletic, Scott Wheeler, to talk about his top 50 drafted prospects list. We'll get into some Canucks talk uh, during that as well. Keep your texts coming in, the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line. We'll be back on the other side. It is Sportsnet today with Josh Elliott Wolf on Sportsnet 650.
Welcome back to Sportsnet today. It's Josh Ellie Wolf, producer Elon Chark. Okay, producer Elon Chark alongside me here on Sportsnet 650. I uh, keep a text coming in 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street. Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. By the way, we are also coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.com. Net. Uh, Going to be joined in a couple moments here by Scott Wheeler of The Athletic to talk prospects. Uh, he is ready to join us now. Scott Wheeler, uh, national reporter for The Athletic, joins us. Thanks for uh, taking the time, Scott. How are you? I'm uh, doing well. Just uh, grinding through the summer here, if you will. Yeah, and uh, a big piece from you dropped yesterday, your top 50 drafted prospects. Uh, we'll get into the Canucks-related stuff in a bit, but... Uh, I was when I was reading through my first surprise came at number two, seeing Matvey Mitchkov. What went into that? Is that just like completely based on uh, his potential upside, putting him at number two there? Yeah, that's just a continuation of my my sort of draft board before the draft. Obviously, these kids haven't played hockey since then, and my list went uh, one Connor Bedard, two Matvey Mitchkov, and three Adam Fantilli. Uh, Mitchkov and Fantilli had bounced between two and three for me throughout the year. Uh, but I view my job in my role at the athletic as one of projection and sort of consider strongly the upside of all of these kids. And I just don't think there's a player with more talent and more pedigree who's accomplished more at a younger age uh, and who has the, the sort of point production ceiling that Matt Bamichkov does other than Connor Bedard. So that's kind of the the basis for, for ranking him second. I truly believe that he's the only player outside of Bedard uh, outside of the NHL at the moment, who has the the potential to be a, a sort of 95 to 100 plus point player, uh, and I, I that's not something I've comfortably said about just about anybody, uh, including even Austin Matthews when he was coming through the draft. So uh, really, outside of the the Connor McDavid, Connor Bedard tier, you're talking about one of the most talented prospects that's that's come through the draft in quite some time. Uh, the other the other two I was looking at in the top ten there were uh, Luke Hughes and Simone Nemich. And I, it just doesn't feel like the Devils are very fair. Like, they had a great year last season. They have a lot of young pieces. They got two guys in the top ten, like I mentioned on your list. Are they the team that's best set up for the next five or so years to really make a push for winning a cup or two just based on how much young talent they have? I think they're certainly among them. No question that they're as well positioned as probably any team in the league uh, and certainly in the conversation. Uh, you mentioned that they were uh, both in the top 10, but even beyond that, they were also the two highest ranked defensemen on my list. Uh, they were sort of neck and neck there with David Yerchek of the Columbus Blue Jackets and Brant Clark of the Los Angeles Kings. Um, but those are really the four for me. I, I think Simon Edmondson of the Detroit Red Wings has a case sort of shortly thereafter, but there's really a sort of group of four right at the top in terms of the, the top D prospects outside the NHL at the moment. And two of them belong to uh, belong to the devils, obviously fans uh, on the NHL side got familiar with Luke uh, in the playoffs last year and late in the regular season. 
Simon still hasn't sort of made that jump, but came over and as an 18-year-old was very, very good, especially in the second half. Took him a little bit of time to get settled in North America, but uh, really came into his own and refound his game after looking a little shaky early on uh, with the Devils organization last year, at least maybe not quite like himself. Uh, but by the year's end, Simon Nemitz was one of the, the best young defensemen in the AHL, one of the best defensemen maybe, period, in the AHL. And certainly uh, one of the, the better sort of players for, for the Devils' AHL affiliate. So um, a lot to like about both of those kids. Luke Hughes is an elite skater. Simon Nemitz is an incredibly smart sort of tactile defenseman. Uh, and they should both be uh, sort of cornerstones of their top four long term there. So uh, a bit of an embarrassment of riches on top of what we know the NHL roster has now with Tyler Toffoli and the addition of, of Timo Meyer and the foundation that was already laid with Dougie Hamilton and Nico Hischier and Jack Hughes, obviously. So it's a, it's a, it's a really, uh, really strong group from top to bottom, a good mix of old and young, some guys who are on some team friendly contracts and then a bunch of guys on ELCs that are sort of waiting in the wings. It is Sportsnet today with Josh Elliott Wolf, Scott Wheeler of the athletic joining, joining us here. A uh, name that's been polarizing in Vancouver ever since the draft, and uh, especially with development camp videos going around, has been Zach Benson. And you had him at number 12 on your list. How many teams do you think are going to be looking back at this draft like a lot of teams do when it comes to an undersized player and kicking themselves for passing on him? I think potentially a few teams. Uh, I, I, I would probably put the Arizona Coyotes in there. Obviously, Arizona passed on him twice because mm-hmm. they were the only team that had two picks in front of where he was selected by the Sabres. Um, I I think he could have really fit in nicely in Arizona. Uh, They don't have a lot coming on the left wing in particular there. They've got uh, great depth down the middle and great depth on the right wing. Uh, But he could have been that sort of left wing of the future to play with the the Dylan Genthers and the Logan Cooleys and the Connor Geekies and uh, what they've already got established there. So, uh, I think there was a bit of a missed opportunity there for for the Coyotes. Um, but he's, yeah, I, I mean, uh, for my money, uh, one of the very best left-wing prospects in the game. Uh, really no holes in his game either, despite the fact that he's five foot ten and 165, 170 pounds, which puts him certainly on the smaller side, uh, especially as a winger. Uh, he's he's dynamic in every other way and off the puck one of the best two-way defensive forwards outside of the NHL in terms of the prospect world so uh, an extremely committed player an extremely high intensity player a player who wins way more battles than you would expect him to win a player who reads the game defensively as well as anybody on the list uh, and then obviously has the, the sort of skill and the play the creativity and that hockey sense that you'd expect a a smaller sort of uh, talented offensive winger to have. So uh, I think he's going to be a huge, huge piece of the puzzle uh, for the Buffalo Sabres in the not too distant future and uh, could quite likely, even as an 18 year old work his way into the world junior conversation for, uh, for hockey Canada this winter. So no Canucks making the list, including 11th overall pick Tom Willander, though you did have him as an honorable mention. What was, what was the main thing keeping him out of your top 50? Yeah, it's a good question. There were uh, two of the final cuts for my list were Jonathan Lekaramaki and, and Tom Wander, who were obviously their last two f- first round picks. So uh, they were they would have been had the had the list extended beyond fifty, they would have been right there in the fifties or sixties, uh, probably fifties for Lekaramaki and early sixties for Wander. 
uh, or maybe late 50s for Wollander. I'd have to think on it a little bit more. Um, but among the final cuts at each of their respective positions, among the four or five guys who were closest, both on D and Wollander's case and, and up front in Lekramaki's case, um, Lekramaki was a kid that I was really high on in last year's draft, higher on than than where they ultimately took him. Uh, obviously, he had a bit of a tough year before really coming alive in the Hockey Al-Svenskan playoffs and sort of returning to form and looking like himself after a difficult summer last year where he battled an illness and an injury and played a lot through the World Junior Summer Showcase and the Summer World Juniors, which he was the youngest player on that team, and then just never really got a summer in the gym, and it showed in the first half of last season. He just looked tired and not himself. Uh, but to answer your question on Wander in terms of what is what was sort of missing, I think the beauty of Wander's game is actually that there there isn't a lot to nitpick. I think the one thing that probably held him out of the top 50 for now, and I do expect that he'll be in the top 50 when I do my winter list after the, some of these players graduate uh, in the fall, which is expected with obviously players like Connor Bedard and Adam Fantilli who are going who are on the list but won't be on the winter list after they're playing in the NHL this fall. Um, Wallander's a kid I think just hasn't quite shown the offense I've spent a lot of time watching Wallander he's a very comfortable player with the puck he moves the puck well his skating is elite that's probably his biggest asset he's a tremendous sort of two-way type uh, defends at a very high level can eat minutes is going to play in a top four role likely immediately at BU in the fall as a freshman uh, a lot to like about the, the athleticism, the physical makeup, the skating, the way that he defends. Uh, but has uh, it, whether you talk to, to people with Rogla, his club team from last year, or uh, sort of watch break down the tape, and obviously I've seen him live on a number of occasions internationally, um, he just hey, he's not a super um, dynamic player with the puck offensively. He's not a player who has sort of really found that ambition and that confidence offensively inside the offensive zone. Uh, he'll get his shots through and walk the line and manage the puck at the top of the zone quite effectively. Uh, but just waiting for him to show a little bit more offense before he really sort of breaks into that upper echelon uh, sort of top 10, top 15 prospect on defense in, in the league kind of thing. Uh, still a very good prospect, a B-plus sort of A-minus level prospect, uh, but has, a, has an opportunity to sort of reach that A-minus, A-level uh, and sort of really distinguish himself, I think, this year at BU. And I'll be fascinated to see uh, sort of what he looks like as a freshman on, on the smaller ice surface. So a lot of the discourse here since since the draft has been, when it comes to comparing Benson and Melander, has been Benson might have the, the skill upside and, and might be might have been the best player available. But it seems like the Canucks were almost drafting for, for value because it's it's so difficult to find a right-handed fenceman Mm-hmm. If if these guys both hit, does it make sense to pursue a guy who, hey, maybe he doesn't have as prolific of a of a point total, but maybe fills more of a position of need? Yeah, I mean, if if he hits, he's going to be a, a number two or a number three defenseman who's playing twenty to twenty five minutes a night at uh, sort of playing big minutes at even strength, maybe contributing on both special teams. Uh, and sort of a, a really sort of rock solid top four defenseman. That's what you're you're expecting out of a player like Willander. Uh On the flip side, if if Zach Benson hits, I expect that he'll be a PP one top six left winger, maybe even a first line left winger who's putting up seventy to eighty points a year in the prime of his career. So then it's just a measure of okay, what's more valuable to an organization? Is it that that second pairing or maybe even complementary first pairing right shot defenseman? 
or is it uh, is it a, a that sort of first line, maybe high end second line left winger? And I, I think you can probably make uh, the case in either direction. I think NHL teams would probably, uh, by and large, make the case that you'd rather the the sort of pillar defenseman. I'm not sure he's going to get to that up upper echelon in terms of first pairing right shot defenseman. Uh, I do think he'll he'll have a very good odds to become that sort of really solid two-way uh, second pairing right shot guy if you will um so uh, yeah there's 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 a case in both directions i lean benson just on uh the, the skill level what he's likely to bring offensively and then on top of his game offensively just as i mentioned just how well-rounded he is he's he was one of the best defensive forwards in the WHL last season, and 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 maybe even maybe even as a 16-year-old the year prior when he was tr- absolutely tremendous as a 16-year-old. So um, there's a lot to like about both players, and you're you're probably pulling hairs one way or the other. But I I think I would certainly uh, as as my ranking is uh, sort of evidences I, I would certainly lean Benson. Uh, so to round out the Canucks you mentioned there, uh, also Atu Ratu was one of your uh, honorable mentions as well. What does he still need to show to to maybe get into that top 50? Well, with Ratu, it's, it's always been about the consistency piece of the puzzle. Uh, certainly, I, I would argue uh, and have argued that he's actually a better skater than he has been given credit for over the years. That was for a long time the big knock on him, and I actually think it was a little overstated. I think he's a better two-way player than he has been given credit at times, and I think he's got a real opportunity to stick as a centerman at the NHL level if or when he makes it. Uh, but it's just been the consistency piece of the puzzle. It's He can shoot it, he can handle it, he can pass it. Uh, I don't think his reads are, are a strength per se. Uh, I think there's a, I don't think he's the smartest player with the puck on his stick out there at times. There's a lot of shooting into shin pads and sort of poor play selection and that kind of thing that can creep into his game. Um, but the, the, the tools are there. He's a pretty toolsy uh, player. He's got size. He's got uh, sort of all of the natural skills that you'd hope for. Uh, and then it's just a question of sort of putting it all together more consistently, finding that level that is dominant at the pro level in the AHL. Uh, and I think it's important to remind ourselves of his age when, when considering that it feels like he's been around forever because he broke onto the scene in Finland at 15 and 16 years old, and he's played professional hockey for several years, but he's still uh, barely out of his teenage years at this point. So um, pieces of the puzzle there that, that still have time to fit together. And I, I think he could spend another two years in the AHL and that wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing, just given how young he still is. So uh, yeah, it's just about consistency, maybe some of the reads and the decision-making uh, that can be something that some players just never learn uh, in terms of the choices that they make on the ice. Some players never really get it, but sometimes it's also just repetition and, and sort of uh, making the same mistakes and, and learning from those mistakes and then sort of adjusting your game and figuring out where you fit into a lineup and all of that. So uh, with the benefit of the doubt, I still think uh, Ratu's uh, going to be a, a, an everyday NHL player at some point here. One of the concerns that's come up here in uh, in Vancouver has been his skating. Um, and the Canucks are they're obviously in need of centers, so I'd, I'd assume they're going to try whatever they can to keep him there. Um, but mainly because of the skating, do you think he could potentially be a winger long-term as opposed to a center? 
Yeah, I mean, as I mentioned, I, I, I'm a believer in his ability to, to stick, to potentially stick at center. Um, I, I do think there's a, probably equal odds that he's he's a winger in the NHL. Uh, it will depend on the makeup of uh, the roster in Vancouver. It will depend on their cap sheet. It will depend on injuries and when the openings in the lineup present themselves for him. It'll depend on when where he's at in the AHL when those injuries do happen in terms of his level of play and whether he's deserving of a call-up. All of that is likely going to impact uh, sort of whether he's a winger or a center. He's fine in the face-off circle, so that's not uh, a sort of major issue for him. Uh, and I, I, as I sort of mentioned off the top, I do think he's a better skater than he gets credit. So uh, I'll, I'll be intrigued to see where he lands long-term. I could see a scenario where he potentially starts at the wing or uh, sort of transitions to center maybe a little bit later in his career or uh, spend some time, just sort of some extra time in the AHL building his game out as a centerman so that when he does get uh, the, the full-time job opportunity in the NHL, he can stick down the middle. Uh, but uh, I really do think the deciding factor there is has more to do with where openings are going to present themselves than it does with uh, whether or not he's capable of playing playing down the middle. I I do believe he's got the the sort of requisite tools, if you will, to be a to be a potential centerman. One player that wasn't mentioned before we let you go was uh, Elias Patterson, the defensive Elias Patterson. Um, was he close at all to maybe making your honorable mentions, or or do you have some concerns with him? Uh, I, w- I wouldn't say I have concerns with him, but I wouldn't say he was close per se either. There were four or five players at each position that I kind of considered adding to the honorable mentions, but I just felt like the honorable mentions was sort of ballooning to a number that was a little bit too big. Right. And that there was a, a sort of starting to develop a gap between the players who I was including and, and the ones who I wasn't. So um, Pedersen's, a, I, I would qualify as a B-level prospect. I think he's got a real opportunity to play NHL games. I'm not sure what that's going to look like in terms of is he going to be a six seven guy? Is he just going to be a solid AHLer who gets call-ups? Is he going to be an everyday guy in terms of a third-pairing role? Does he maybe, maybe, maybe at his very best-case outcome have an opportunity to be a second-pairing guy? I know the Canucks organization is really high on him. I know others within the hockey world who are fairly high on him, maybe not quite as high as the Canucks seem to be, but uh, he's got an opportunity. He's a, he's a well-rounded sort of... Uh, I don't want to say run of the mill because it almost sounds like an insult, but uh, he's a, he's just a, a player who plays an effective sort of efficient game. Uh, and it, it, there aren't really any uh, s- sort of similar to Willander, although Willander's grades uh, sort of grades out uh, higher on average. And certainly the skating piece is a differentiator for Willander, but they're both kids who just play effective uh, sort of two way styles. And I think that could, uh, that could carry, uh, Elias Pedersen 2.0, if you will, into uh, into an NHL opportunity at some point, but it's it's probably not going to be as a as a high end NHL guy. Hey Scott, really appreciate you taking the time uh, and enjoy your summer. Cheers. Awesome. That is Scott Wheeler of the Athletic joining us here on Sportsnet today with Josh Elliott Wolf going through the top 50 drafted prospects uh, on his list. Uh, as we mentioned, no Tom Olander. No Jonathan Lekaramaki and no Atu Ratu, though, as Scott said, Willander and Lekaramaki uh, both just outside the top 50. It was interesting that he mentioned that Lekaramaki might be higher on his list just because I think if you're a Canucks fan and you've watched the development of uh, Lekaramaki and 
to a lesser extent Willander just since since the draft. You you'd probably have Willander higher than Lekaramaki on your list. And I know Chris Faber over at uh Canucks Army has been putting out his top ten rankings of Canucks prospects and uh, I believe he's on number two right now and we still have yet to see Tom Willander. So I'm gonna I'm gonna wager a guess that he's there at number one. But we have seen the Karamaki, and he, he, I believe he had him at, at four. So people here in Vancouver seem to be valuing Willander a little bit higher than the Karamaki, uh, but not so much from a national scale as we saw with uh, Scott Wheeler's rankings there. I do, like, if, if I had to rank them just based on what we've seen, I would probably have Willander higher. I just have a little more faith that he's going to hit the peak or at least hit the hit the threshold that the Canucks need him to hit to be an impact NHL player. But theoretically, it's almost the same conversation as we've had with Benson and Melander to, to a much lesser extent is at the draft, did the Canucks take the guy that they, they're more comfortable with but maybe has less upside in Melander over Benson? And, and maybe they'll regret that. And it's kind of the same conversation with Willander and Lekaramaki is, well, if Lekaramaki hits his peak, is he more of a of an upside bet? And may, is he a guy that can be a legitimate threat in the NHL, like a guy that's a staple in your top six, maybe a staple on your top line, if he hits? And a lot has to go right for him to hit. So it'll be interesting to see how that all works out. But again, I have more faith in Willander reaching a higher peak and more faith in him even getting close to that peak than I do in the Karamaki at this point. Ratu is the interesting one to me just because it's really hard to grade him because he was really hyped going into his draft year. He fell more than people thought he would. We've seen him in Abbotsford. We saw him for a few games in Vancouver and he wasn't necessarily anything special, but he's still 20 years old. It feels like he's older than he is, but he's still 20 years old. He still has a lot of development left to go. And we, we mentioned it with Scott there. I wonder if he's going to end up being a winger at the NHL level, or if he's going to end up being a center because the Canucks, they obviously need someone down the middle in the future. They have no prospects that could really step up and fill a role down the middle other than Aturatu if he hits. And I think the big concern that a lot of people have, and we mentioned it, is the speed. And can he be a center at the NHL level if he's not fast enough to keep up with the game? And maybe that's something he develops over time. Maybe it's something that doesn't really end up being a concern if because we see it around the league. If players are smart enough, they know how to be a center and how to be a center effectively, both offensively and defensively, even without being a burner. So I wonder, I wonder if he's, if his hockey IQ is there enough to make up for the lack of speed. So that's something we're going to have to see. Personally, if I had to make a bet right now, I'm saying he's going to end up as a winger in the, at the NHL level. But I also haven't poured over as nearly as much tape as other guys have in this market and guys like Scott Wheeler 
at The Athletic when they're making rankings like this. Uh, by the way, you can go check out his work. He's uh, at Scott C. Wheeler on Twitter and Scott Wheeler at The Athletic. Uh, you can read his latest there. He also put out a goalie ranking, top 10 goalie ranking for drafted prospects. Archer Seelovs did not make the list, but he was an honorable mention as well. A lot of honor for the Canucks, but no, uh, no actual rankings. It is Sportsnet today. I'm Josh Elliott Wolf along with Elon Chark. We're back on the other side for the final half hour of the show. Keep your texts coming in 650 650 on the Dunbar Lumber text line. It is Sportsnet today. Josh Elliott Wolf on Sportsnet 650.